Howdy folks, my name is Christian Michael Dossett. Welcome to the podcast corner of the Dossett Den. By my definition, the den is a command post. It is both material and ethereal. Sometimes it's messy, sometimes it's clean. The goal is to take this bulky thing called life and make it something workable and lean. So walk with me through this soundscape. I'll carve my den down to the bone, and I hope while walking with me, I'll help you cultivate your own. If you're returning, welcome back to my den. If you're new here, you may want to go back and listen to the first episode where I explain the context of these subjects, uh, how they have come to matter to me, and how they have arrived under the lens of my Vivio scope of the eight categories, sleep, nutrition, fitness, creativity, consumption, meditation, reflection, and to-do. I see it most fitting to launch this season of discussion with the subject of media consumption. Consumption is perhaps one of the most relevant categories to our specific time in history. When I say consumption, I do not mean to talk about nutrition and food. The consumption I will talk about is media. Just as you are what you eat, you have a digital and analog media diet. Oversee this feature of your life and you're liable to have your choosing done for you. When you wake... Do you wake with your own resolutions? Do you consider your own dreams, literal and aspirational? Or do you plug into the bottomless well of the ambitions and values of others? Do you continue to live a regimen dictated by your circumstance? Does your passivity just maybe make you a slave from the moment you wake up to the moment you fall asleep, having digested only what is fed to you? Maybe it's time to start making your own media diet. If any of these questions ping you, if they strike a chord, if they light something up, maybe you should keep listening. Might you rather first wake up and consider how lucky you are to be alive? Wouldn't that be nice if each morning you could just thank God to be alive? After reading that, you could be in the crowd that says to themselves or yells at me (laughs) wake up and consider what that i'm lucky to be alive some people would wonder how they could have that much control in their minds to just be grateful each morning therein lies the brilliance of developing habits if you design them for regular practice you have the ability to design your life to whatever dreams you wish for imagine a night of falling into a gentle rest Not after the pressurized stress state encouraged by social media, but after having read a book geared towards your well-being. I had tried a few ways before to curb my negative consumption habits, but none of them had mission statements that I believed in. App timers were useful for waking up to the fact that you have spent so much time on social media or YouTube, but they, they do not set any rules for what that time spent should look like. Nor do screen time limits help replace unhealthy consumption habits with healthy ones. Telling yourself to spend less time on Instagram or pick your poison is not the same thing as telling yourself to spend more time reading books. The latter provides a new option for behavior rather than simply demonizing the old one. In other words, The destruction of bad habits does not necessitate that good habits will bloom by themselves. 
I look back on my consumption habits with both disgust and forgiveness. I will occasionally fall back into the habit of mindless consumption, but I'm much keener to realize that it's not my baseline. I can notice more quickly when I'm lacking a bang for my buck and choose to act alternatively. Before, when I pumped myself from the IV of Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, and Netflix, my consumption was without direction, and I left each pleasure fest unmotivated. Life became dull. I've developed a personal philosophy regarding media consumption by paying attention to first, what I consume, and second, how I become that thing. How does the media materialize itself in my life? I can take note of several dependent variables, of which are my peace, happiness, mental clarity, and ability to engage are the most important variables to look out for, in my opinion. I shall delve into questions and the thoughts of these variables as such. Peace? Did my consumption bring my seeking mind to rest, or did it invigorate me along with my pursuit with a clear call to action. Happiness. Has my consumption left me with an optimistic view of life? Have I been given hope? Do I continue to wish well for others? Mental clarity and ability to engage. Am I able to keep a fixed attention on whatever or whoever I'm in a relationship with after consuming what I just had? Was the experience generous in allowing for adjustment to my next interaction? Am I left feeling foggy or sharp? I appreciate the book titled The Shallows by Nicholas Carr for broadening my perspective on digital life and consciousness. Reading more books is what I've found to be a really fascinating way to text the effect of different consumption in your life. I definitely feel much different in mind after reading a book than I do after going on social media. And I feel in a much different way after reading a certain kind of book than another and, and so on. Uh, your attention really is a precious thing. Please allow me to read you now <laughs> a poem I was introduced to in the shallows by Nicholas Carr. The, the poem is by a fellow named Wallace Stevens. Uh, the poem is called, The House Was a Quiet and the World Was Calm. <clears throat> the house was quiet and the world was calm. The reader became the book and summer night. It was like the conscious being of the book. The house was quiet and the world was calm. The words were spoken as, there is, as if there was no book except that the reader leaned above the page, wanted to learn, wanted much most to be the scholar whom his book is true, to whom the summer night is like a perfection of thought. The house was quiet because it had to be. The quiet was a part of the meaning, part of the mind, the access of perfection to the page. Wallace goes on to say that Stephen's poem, I'm not Wallace, Nicholas Carr goes on to say that Stephen's poem is, does not only describe deep reading, it demands deep reading. The apprehension of the poem requires the mind the poem describes 
the quiet and the calm of the reader's deep attentiveness become part of the meaning of the poem, forming the pathway through which perfection of thought and expression reaches the page. In the metaphorical summer night of the wholly engaged intellect, the writer and the reader merge, together creating and sharing the conscious being of the book. Carr goes on to explain a plethora of other romantic ideas about Wallace Stevens' poem, plenty of which I fancy, but not all are very important to the ideas I am trying to get across right now. So I will move on to another section in this book of the Shallows where Carr describes the uh, the full engagement of our digital lives and the modern world and how they are kind of like necessary and also a bit detrimental. So here we go. Quote, the importance of such skills shouldn't be taken lightly as our work and social lives come to center on the use of electronic media, the faster we're able to navigate those media and the more adroitly we're able to shift our attention among online tasks, the more valuable we're likely to become as employees and even as friends and colleagues. As the writer Sam Anderson put it in, in The Defense of Distraction, a 2019, or 2009 article in the New York Magazine. 2009. Our jobs depend on connectivity, and our pleasure cycles, no trivial matter, are increasingly tied to it. The practical benefits of web use are many, which is one of the main reasons we spend so much time online. It's too late, argues Anderson, to just retreat to a quieter time. He's right but it would be a serious mistake to look narrowly at the net's benefits and conclude that the technology is making us more intelligent. Jordan Grafman, head of the Cognitive Neuroscience Unit at the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke, explains that the constant shifting of our attention when we're online may make our brains more nimble when it comes to multitasking, but improving our ability to multitask actually hampers our ability to think deeply and creatively. Does optimizing for multitasking result in better functioning, that is, creativity, inventiveness, productiveness? The answer is, in more cases than not, no, says Grafman. The more you multitask, the less deliberate you become, the less able to think and reason out a problem. You become, he argues, more likely to rely on conventional ideas and solutions rather than challenging them with original lines of thought, end quote. I'd like to bring a couple of quotes to the table, one of which from the Roman philosopher Seneca, and the other, James, of the New Testament. Seneca had to say, 2,000 years ago, to be everywhere is to be nowhere. I consider this thought, and I consider, say, scrolling through social media. You are everywhere. You are in this post, that post, the next post, and the last post. It is not an engaged way to go about things. I started to think that social media can be like a house party full of people you bump into with liminal engagement. It could be to show face so that you're invited to the next one 
so that maybe you can sit and watch from the corner of the room or maybe so that you can show up and choose what action to get in on and engage with the party that is the party of so miraculously sharing your ideas online. Is it necessary? Meh, I don't know. And then I, I think about the book, the idea of reading the book and how its engagement can be positive, definitely much more impactful than scrolling through less deep media. Then again, you have to take a look at the books you're reading and go through the same variables and see how they are making you in relationship with the rest of your life. The second quote, James. James 1, 5, 2, 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Double-minded and unstable in all you do. Here James talks about being double-minded in faith, having committed your attention to one thing, yet your attention still lingers elsewhere. I think this is valuable insight because faith is everywhere in our lives. How are we living in principle? I will go on to read another uh, excerpt from Nicholas Carr's The Shallows to add more of a scientific perspective. Quote, Recent research into the neurological effects of deep reading has added a scientific gloss to Stephen's lyric. In one fascinating study conducted at the Washington University's Dynamic Cognition Laboratory and published in the Psychological Science in 2009, researchers used brain scans to examine what happens inside people's heads as they read stories. They found that readers mentally simulate each new situation encountered in a narrative. Details about actions and sensation are captured from the text and integrated with personal knowledge from past experiences. The brain regions that are activated often mirror those involved when people perform, imagine, or observe similar real-world activities. Deep reading, says the study's lead researcher, Nicole Spear, is is by no means a passive exercise. The reader becomes the book. The bond between book and Book writer has always been a tightly symbiotic one, a means of intellectual and artistic cross-fertilization. This is going to uh, depart a bit from the scientific perspective, but deeply uh, connected to this as an artist. The words of the writer act as a catalyst in the mind of the reader, inspiring new insights, associations, and perceptions, sometimes even epiphanies. And the very existence of the attentive, critical reader provides the spur for the writer's work. It gives the author the confidence to explore and form new forms of expression, to blaze difficult and demanding paths of thought, to venture into uncharted and sometimes hazardous territory. All great men have written proudly, nor cared to explain, said Emerson. They knew that the intelligent reader would come at last and would thank them. 
end quote. That passage reminds me um, so much so of how uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson talks about the importance of writing and of reading. For to read, you are understanding somebody else's formalized thought, and to write, and to practice your writing, is to work on formalizing your thoughts, both deeply rich things in life. And I think that will do it for this episode of the podcast. I hope that in your media consumption, you can zoom out a little bit and ask yourself some of these questions I've listed. Ask what you've learned and how it made you feel and how clear your mind is. How engaged are you with life? Um, some other ideas when using social media try to use it as a tool have some sort of philosophy towards it um, open with an intentional idea actually socialize if you choose to use it um, share an insight if, if you come upon one I'm sure people could use a little more perspective um, and I try to only post things if I can manage a call to action so if I ask a question I want to be able to answer it as well um, and reading prioritizes your downtime, some so some kind of self-care. TV shows, my opinion, they are too time-consuming. I Just take a look at how much time you spend watching TV. Um, movies, I really love movies. I don't feel as crisp when I come out of them. Uh, maybe about the ideas they are, but I tend to forget about most of life for a little while because I get so engaged with them. Just keep your eyes open, your ears peeled, and look inward. And thank God for this day. Rejoice his name the next. That's all. Thanks for listening. Christian with the Dossett Den. I hope you have a good one. I will try to do the same.